Good evening ladies and gentlemen, this is a cheeky bonus episode as promised, uh, another interview with our good friend Tony Wash over at uh, Scotchworthy Productions. Just to let you know, later in the interview we're discussing the new comic book which will be coming out alongside the anniversary edition of It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To uh, and we discuss the difference between the black and white and the colour. You can see those if you go over to our Instagram. We're going to post up the pictures of the two side by side as a repost from Tony so that you can see exactly what we were talking about. And hopefully, if he gets enough people on the pre-order, when the comic book comes out, it will in fact be in colour. So thanks very much and enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee and as promised last week, I'm here with something extra special with a little late Christmas present for you all. Um, I'm here with the amazing Tony Wash, uh, president of Scotchworthy Productions. Um, he's been doing some great stuff since we last spoke. Uh, so we were chatting and he's offered to come on and tell everyone what he's been up to. Thanks very much for coming on, Tony. Hell yeah. <laughs> back back with my brother from across the pond after all these years oh yeah it's uh yeah it's, it's, it's great to have you back and i really appreciate you taking the time to to speak to me and our listeners um yeah and let us know what you've been up to for sure no it's it's always great to have um people such as as you in your position where you know you're you're not just helping me promote my stuff but you're doing it enthusiastically because you're legitimately a fan and and you in particular Lee, have been a fan of of my stuff since it's my party and I'll die if I want to which is you know as you know since you pre-ordered one of the 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 edition the new DVDs we're on our 15 year anniversary of the release of it's my party so um you know we shot that from 2005 to 2007 and I just I think that I think back and I'm like, that was a lifetime ago at this point, you know, mm. it's just crazy. So, yeah, it is. And the stuff you've racked up between now and then is fantastic. And so that's why we're, you know, we're still sitting here chatting now is it's, it's always consistently amazing. And, and it's been great to see you on your journey from sort of where you started sort of self-funding and sort of uh, early on, just doing everything yourself sort of in-house. Um, yeah, to the stuff you're doing now and curating other people's work. And uh, yeah, it's it's just been fantastic. And it's it's nice to have a, a cornerstone of something you can go to who's putting stuff out regularly and uh, yeah, and is always consistently good. Um, well, I appreciate that. And and, you know, you your fan bit, your fandom of of our work is is a testament to the fact that my friends and I really take pride in what we create and um you know, and, and that the, at least those of us that are influencing the creative side of it are legitimate um, fans of the horror genre, which I think is important when you're making independent horror movies. You know, it's not about making a buck. It's about showing people the heart that you have for for something, the passion. And um, I've always believed that, you know, they, they tell you do what you do, what you know, or do what you love, you know, and. And to me, that's especially important when you're an artist or a, a storyteller. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm not going to go out and start making romantic comedies, even though I would. Um, I don't I'm not funny. And, and I don't think that, uh, 
that that I would do as good of a job translating my style to that genre versus horror, which is something I've grown up with and always loved, as you can see from my collection of posters behind me and such. Yeah, oh, it is a beautiful collection. It, actually, it does bring me to a point. I was going to say your um, films, a, a lot of the time, have got that really nice 80s feel to them. Um, like just the the color palette and the layer and everything is so not necessarily it doesn't feel like you're going for nostalgia but it feels like you're doing what you love which is that so it was the 80s like the main era for you growing up you know the stuff you love yeah a hundred percent you know i i was born in 1980 um my i the first color film i ever saw the first color horror film i ever saw that my parents let me watch was Fright Night, the original. I keep doing this right there, the original <laughs> Fright Night. Man, I hit that pretty quick, all things. Yeah, you got that dead on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, the original Fright Night was uh, was the first color horror film. We were at my dad's friend's house having dinner, and we were talking at dinner, and his friend was like, oh, well, you know, we rented this, this cool horror movie called Fright Night. If you guys want, we can watch that after dinner. And I was like, dad, dad, can we watch it? Can we watch it? And, and I remember... I vividly remember, and I'm not very good with having memories from my young childhood, but I vividly remember going up to the table after the kids had finished eating like two or three times and just being like, are, are you guys almost done? Can we watch the movie? Can we sit down and watch the movie? And, um, and so it's, it's just, it's always been in me and a part of me and, and eighties in particular, because it's when I grew up and, and the eighties horror movies were so vivid, you know, and so creative and, and, it's when special effects really came into their own. And it's when movies, I love 70s horror too. I truly love 70s horror in so many different ways for so many different reasons. But 70s horror, what I love about that is not just the atmosphere that they build and the tension, but it's also the seriousness, the drama behind a 70s horror movie. In the 80s, it was more about the entertainment value of a horror movie. Um and so to me, as a kid growing up watching those, they were fun. They were exciting. And, and whether they scared me or not, it was more a matter of the experience and as a whole. Um, and so, yeah. And then in high school, when I was I started working at a video store, a little mom and pop video store when I was 14 and a half years old. And so it's like I didn't even have a driver's license at that point and was being dropped off for my shifts by my mom and dad. And <laughs> And so, and I worked with a guy who was a, a, probably about 20 or 21 and knew that I liked horror movies after working there with me for a while and was like, well, if you like horror movies, you should watch this and this and this and all the ones that I'd never heard of before. Or if the poster, the cover art for the box wasn't that appealing, you know, like for example, Prince of Darkness is one I always use. And even John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. As a, as a kid, you look at a cover like Friday 13th Part 3 or you look at House or Fright Night or Return of the Living Dead, as I talked about before we started recording. Those covers were just like so cool looking that you just had to watch that movie. Yeah. Um, but the thing is just like that guy in the snow jacket with the light coming out of his face. And it's not as as a, as a 14 year old that wasn't like, oh, I want to rent that because I was like, I don't even know what the fuck that's about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I I think it's great, as you say, at a young age to have someone to kind of guide you in that. So my my dad, luckily, was would get, watch as much horror as he could get his hands on. Yeah, so I'd get that. He'd watch five movies and go, you should watch them too, but the other two, you just not too. But yeah, so you needed that to really sort of, yeah, to guide you at a young age and sort of 
stop you watching because that's the problem as we said with independent you know if you watch 20 movies and five of them are good there's going to come a point where you're like you know what i've watched 10 movies in a row and they've all been dire and you kind of lose interest yeah so i think at a younger age you need that uh, that cultivated eye to sort of push you in the right direction yeah and once you get to our age or we're now doing it for the younger generations of course yeah now we're at that point and and my dad was just as instrumental in my love of horror as, as your father was um you know he is the horror fan my mom not not really at all and and she was the more responsible parents in the 80s where she was like not letting me watch a lot of that stuff especially not on my own Hmm. and um you know i always tell the story about how i remember taping friday the 13th part four off of tv and when she found the tape that i had taped it on um she put it on top of the refrigerator and so (laughs) I, i wasn't able to watch it but every time she left the house for more than an hour i was climbing on a chair onto the countertop grabbing the VHS tape and then popping it in the VCR because I loved that shit so much. Or if I had the friend whose parents were a little less strict and, you know, we were going to go rent a movie, I was always trying to push the horror movie. Um, and so, yeah, it's it, it's all about those influences when you're growing up and, and in that formidable stage of your life where, you know, you're really discovering things and discovering your own yourself and your own interests. And uh, I just I, I feel very fortunate to have grown up in the, the time, the decade that I grew up in. And I don't remember a lot of my childhood, as I think a lot of us do when we get to our age where we're in our 40s and I've had 30 years since I was that age to to fill my brain with so much other bullshit and and, and important events in my life that a lot of that stuff was just unfortunately it was put in the trash bin. And, um, you know, I I wish I could pull from a lot of that because I think it would help influence a lot of my work in in, in many ways. But uh, at the end of the day, at least I experienced it and it's gotten me to where I am. And, you know, there you go. Yeah, it's gonna say you might not remember it, but it's definitely got you, as you say, to where you are now. And uh, so, so speaking of that, sort of, you, so the uh, so you've been working recently on the uh, bloody bites. So how yeah. did that come about? So in 2013, I shot a short film called The Muck. Um, it was for originally we made it for the ABCs of Death Two contest. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're familiar, the ABCs of Death series, there were two movies and they were anthology collections where they gathered 26 different filmmakers to create a different horror film, short film, like five minute long short film where someone in the short dies by something with the letter that the film is for. So, you know, it could be B is for B is for bicycle and somebody's riding their bike and rides it off a cliff or whatever. And you know, um, so we did M is for muck. And part of the contest was because they 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 curated the 25 films and then and those were bigger names in the independent circle, you know, people that had like Ty West and I think Adam Weingard did one in the first movie and stuff like that. And so then they did a contest for one letter in the first movie it was T and the second movie was M. And anybody could submit a film. And so for the second one. It was the letter M and they had about 600 almost submissions. Tiffany Sheppis, actually, we were talking about her earlier and her and her husband had done a selection, which I think was in the top 10 finalists uh, for part two um, and was really good from what I remember. And what they said in the rules was if you don't win the contest and there was only one winner, 
if you don't win, you still own the rights to your short film. And so I didn't want to make one because I didn't want to take the time and spend the money to do it. And my friends were, were just like, well, you know, there were six or seven other filmmakers that I was friends with that were making one. And so we said, well, you know what? If, if these movies don't win the contest, since we still own the rights to them, let's just put them all together on a DVD and I'll sell them at conventions for five bucks a pop or something like that. So we, we didn't win and we got the eight films together. And then we realized that some of our friends who were including their films had other friends that were interested in including their short work as well. And some of these people ended up being from Australia, Canada, and the United Kingdom were the first three countries that were were outside of the U.S. that were interested. And so it, that's kind of when the light bulb went on in all of our heads. And so my co-producers and I were just like, why don't we, why don't we turn this into something a little bit bigger and more special? And we'll call it World of Death. And we'll go out and just reach out to as many independent horror filmmakers as we can find and collect as many films as we can and just create this army of independent cinema. Um, and so after, you know, we went to South by Southwest and a bunch of other festivals with the muck. And while we were at South by Southwest, we we were pitching World of Death to a whole bunch of different teams of people. You know, Accelerator, which is a, a pretty decent uh, distributor. Um, Red Box, and which is a, I don't know if you guys have Red Box in, in uh, England. No, no, we don't. I'm aware of it, but yeah, we don't get it here. Okay. So yeah, it's for, for your audience who doesn't know, it's like they have kiosks outside of stores where you can go and you can, you know, rent a movie off the screen and put a dollar in or you swipe your credit card and then the movie pops out of the box like a vending machine and you just have to return it the next day. Um, and so we were talking to all these different companies, even Netflix at the time. And no, everybody thought it was a cool idea, but they didn't really know how to work with it because of the the licensing of the IPs of all these different films. And so around 2015, 2016, we'd been developing it for over a year and got to the point where we were just like, I don't know what we're going to be able to do with this because nobody's just jumping on board and saying, here's money for a budget. Start making this thing a reality. Um, <clears throat> so... Thankfully, I had known the guys at Bloody Disgusting for a number of years at that point. And so I, we reached out to them and uh, set up a meeting and they really liked the idea and thought it was cool and said, well, let's put this at least on our YouTube channel and it'll be our original show that's featuring independent horror shorts from around the world. We ran Bloody, uh, Bloody Disgusting's World of Death for four years from 2016 to 2020 and we featured in over 200 episodes, we showcased more than 500 short films and we represented over 50 countries of wow. film. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I was incredibly proud of the community that we built because, you know, it's the 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 film industry is so hard to mm -hmm. be successful in. And it's oftentimes so disheartening when you don't get the success or when you're taken advantage of which happens way more often than it should hmm. um and so we we built an army of people a community and and we were all able to support each other and you know the difficult thing about being an independent producer when you're not being paid to do it so you can work it 70 hours a week and and whatnot is that we didn't have the right staffing and we didn't have the amount of time to invest in properly developing everything, all the, the secondary and tertiary aspects of a successful business model, mm -hmm. which is 
not just your your product, but also the marketing of the product and the community surrounding the product and the 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 communication surrounding the community and stuff. And so if we would have had a team of people that was helping us develop the social media presence of these things and and helping us promote it and help us, you know, communicate with the community, the filmmakers that we were working with and say, okay, this is how you promote it. Here's your branding package. Here's all this stuff. I think it would have done a lot better than it did. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it, what it did was it it developed our experience for working in this medium and it further uh, solidified my relationship with bloody disgusting, which to this point has been tremendous. And, um, and it, it created the next iteration of world of death, which is what we're currently doing now, as you mentioned is bloody bites. And so in October of 2020, Bloody Disgusting partnered with Cinedyme, which is this huge media company, this multi-million dollar media company. And they created a a streaming channel called Bloody Disgusting TV um, that runs through Roku and a number of other platforms. And primarily in the United States, but it sounds like we're in Canada now. And I've heard that there is an international ability to watch it um, through something like an MX player or some other app. But you know, we've we've been just trying to develop our audience with um, with the last two years of programming. And so the channel's got a lot of, you know, old classic movies and stuff on it. House on Haunted Hill, Night of the Living Dead, Popcorn, Piranha, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, some newer independent films that nobody's really heard of, but, you know, are pretty cool that we're trying to promote. And then we have some original programming like Bloody Bites and a show called Hello Horror and a show called Boo Crew. Um, which is a pretty popular podcast where they interview horror celebrities and talk about everybody's affinity for the horror genre. Um, And so Bloody Disgusting came to me and said, Tony, we love what you and your partner Jim did with World of Death. And you guys have been doing this for four years now pro bono. We really want to bring you in into the the ground floor of of the channel and help us develop develop the next iteration of World of Death, and we want it to be called Bloody Bites. We want to focus on high quality, independent horror, sci fi, and thriller short film content, and um, we're going to put it on the TV channel and uh, and go from there. And so that was you know over two years ago at this point in October of twenty twenty one. Uh, Cinedyme, the company that Bloody Disgusting partnered with to create the Roku channel, ended up purchasing Bloody Disgusting from Brad and Tom, who ran the website. And so with that with that purchase, now we are all under the umbrella of this big media conglomeration or, or mega mogul or whatever you want to call it. And so that has allowed us to further grow the, the expanse of the channel and um, they also purchased Screenbox, which is a streaming platform similar to Shutter for those who are familiar with that, as well as Netflix, obviously. And it focuses solely on horror. And um, you can go out there with a subscription. You can watch any of the movies in their catalog commercial free. And then they also have series as well. So Bloody Bites is on the series end of it. And you can also watch Bloody Disgusting TV through Screenbox's live TV section. Um, and so I, I've been curating that now for over two years um, with my partner, Jim. And uh, 
And then beyond that, Bloody Disgusting has me promoting and programming the channel on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, also working with film festivals to develop our relationships with them for acquisitions of original content and stuff like that. So it's been pretty badass. I, I love it. You know, all I, if I, if I could tell my 14 year old self at the video store that one day I'm going to be doing what I'm doing right now, I, I, I couldn't even imagine, you know, that, yeah, that's also, I say that's the, the impression I've always got of bloody disgusting is that it does seem like, like, is it like a group of fans? It's more about getting great content out there rather than just, you know, trying to make as much money as possible and just get something out. Um, and shorts, I think, are a perfect way of doing that because people, you know, you think back to when you first started, you know, you can have, if you're only making a 10, 15 minute short, you can really push that budget and get a lot out of it in that sort of short, that short period of time. You've not got to do an hour and a half production and you can throw all your money at it and, and really produce something fantastic, which is why the, the shorts are so good. Um, Yeah, and it's a great showcase as well, you know. It's it's a a kind of first step in is the way I see it for a lot of uh, for a lot of filmmakers. Um, yeah. yeah. So obviously, what you're doing and getting it out there to a much wider audience is going to propel these people much faster. It's a it's a fantastic springboard, really. Yeah, and and I agree, and and I'm I'm glad that people such as yourself recognize the potential of the community that we've built with it, and. That's the whole idea is that it's not just about showcasing a filmmaker's current work and promoting it through one of the largest horror venues in the world, which is bloody disgusting. But it's also a matter of fostering relationships that might develop into original content in the future, Hmm. which is kind of the stage that we're starting to work on. Um, Bloody disgusting and and Cynodyme acquired Terrifier 2 and release that through Screenbox exclusively. And the success of Terrifier 2 at this point has really opened up the floodgates, I think, for Cynodimes. Um, they are very pleased that Bloody Disgusting was like, hey, we should we should acquire this movie for distribution because we think it's really going to do well if we promote it and market it appropriately. And thankfully, everything worked out great. And terrifier 2 to date has made like i think it's made like 14 million dollars and i don't even and and we're talking compared to the original shooting budget which i don't think was was more than like three or four hundred thousand dollars it's wow it's a tremendous success story it's not necessarily a blair witch project by any means but it is it is something that that i'm incredibly proud to to have in the family (laughs) and um and i have i've been excited to have been able to to help out in some capacities with, you know, we've been doing interactive screenings of the movie at film uh, conventions hmm. where the audience is sitting there kind of like a Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, experience. If you've ever ex- you know heard of one of those or experienced it. I've been to a couple of Rocky Horror shows. Yeah. <laughs> so we've, we've, we're, we're doing that now. We've got one in a couple of weeks in Atlanta at the days of the dead convention and all of the, you know, Damien is going to be there, the director, as well as a lot of the cast, um, David Thornton or Horton, who plays uh, Art the Clown. And um, so we're really hoping to get them, you know, substantially involved in the screening. When we did our Chicago one back in November, we had Casey Hartnett, who's one of the, the actresses who gets murdered in the movie by Art. And um, and then another one of the, the the smaller cameo characters, his name is Selfie Guy. And uh, they were both at the convention and 
you know, got up in the middle of the movie and talked to the audience and stuff. And, and then we were squirting the audience with squirt guns when the blood was playing <laughs> on the screen and throwing poppers at everybody. So they were fireworks and stuff when he's doing the machine gun. And for those who have seen the movie, so <clears throat> it's been really awesome to be able to kind of help coordinate those, those experiences for fans. And um, yeah, it's just, it's been really awesome. It's a dream come true. Like I said. It, it, I mean, it's those little things, though, isn't it? It's that kind of William Castle-esque, like taking it from just being a film and making it a full experience. Uh, yeah, that, that just draws people in and and makes what is a great film an evening that you'll you'll never forget. And, and I think that's I think that's fantastic that that people are out there still doing that because yeah, because of streaming and things, which obviously is excellent. It's, it's easy to get hold of stuff and you can watch it at your own convenience. Um, but yeah, that's why if I go to the cinema, I want it to be a big extravaganza. I don't just want to sit and watch the film the same as I could do at home. Yeah, so those little extras is as what's going to get bums in seats and get get people talking about the movies as well. Yeah, and it's you know conventions are kind of interesting because conventions are always held in big hotels, you know. Um, so the screening rooms are not necessarily like a theater, which is unfortunate because I think the best experiences putting people in an actual theater where it's dark, there's good sound, there's a good screen that's really big and people are comfortable. I mean, Terrifier 2 is almost a two and a half hour long movie. So to cram all of that content into two and a half hours and expect somebody to sit through that in an uncomfortable chair and, you know, not be able to get up and go to the bathroom and stuff, it, it's very difficult. And so, you know, it would be nice if we could incorporate a better experience in terms of comfort but what I like about it is that I, for one, is a horror fan, and I haven't done it recently, mainly because COVID kind of fucked up that whole schedule. But before COVID, leading up to that, I used to have anywhere from like three or four times a year, I would host a movie marathon night at my house. And I would just get all of my horror friends over and we would do kind of a, you know, everybody would bring a movie or two or ten and write it down on a piece of paper, the title, and we would put them all in a hat. And it was like, you would pick, everybody would go around the room and pick a, na a name out of the hat. And then out of those names that everybody picked, let's say there's eight of us. So we now have eight movies that we as a collective are going to pick. And the majority is going to be the movie that we end up watching. And then we put everything back in and do it again. And we watched three or four movies in the night. And it was always so much fun because you are you don't have to pay attention because half the time most of us have seen the movie so we're just watching it to enjoy ourselves everybody's drinking beers and having a good time and so it's just uh, that experience to me is what what i love about being as dedicated of a horror fan as i am is that there's other people like me out there and so these terrifier 2 experiences are very similar to that in my opinion where you've got these people at a horror convention where they are the diehard horror fans too and now we're getting 200 300 of them in a room together all cheering and shouting at the at the at the uh the screen and getting squirted with water as if it's blood and throwing you know we're throwing wet spaghetti noodles at them at like guts and and it's just it was it was a lot of fun so i'm i'm looking forward to atlanta in a few weeks for sure excellent uh, so so obviously i know you do a lot of the conventions and stuff um so what's that like, obviously, being behind the desk, promoting your stuff? Obviously, you get to chat to lots of fans and get sort of people's responses on the ground. It's, yeah, how do you find that 
um, yeah, sort of compared to your online presence, do you find that you get people who are aware of your work come to you or do you get lots of passing trade? I think it's at this point, I've been doing conventions since 2008. Um, February of 2008 is when we premiered the DVD release of It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To, the original DVD release of that. And we we had this awesome experience at the Fangoria convention in Chicago in two, February of 2008. And from there, you know, it's just, it's been 15 years at this point of me going around and promoting my stuff one-on-one with fans in, you know, face-to-face. And so, yes, there is, there is definitely a crowd of people that, that know who I am and have supported me in the past, um, such as yourself, only more locally speaking. And so those are the, those are the people that I run into time and time again, which is the, which is the, the icing on the cake. It's, it's almost like the, 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 it's like the the personal bonus of doing conventions is that I'm not necessarily just growing my audience and also selling some of my merchandise, which helps obviously pay the bills and, and whatnot as little of an amount as it may be. But it's also a matter of seeing my friends because all of my fans, such as yourself, are my friends in my in my mind. And you know, I know that if I'm ever in England or you're over over here in Chicago and you give me a buzz and say, I'm going to be in your town, like, let's hang out. You and I are going and we're going to the pub or we're going, you know, we're going to share a pint or two. You know what I mean? Or 10. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably more like. <laughs> yeah. So so especially if it's 10 years coming at this point, like with it, like it is with you and I. Yeah. Um, so. So, yes, going to conventions. I don't understand why more more filmmakers don't do it. The people that, in my opinion, are at the level above me that have a bigger career at this point, I don't know why they don't go. I like. I feel like they almost think that conventions are below them in mm-hmm. terms of like it's not worth their time. And I just think that they're sorely misrepresenting what a convention's potential is, not only for your your ability to make some money while you're there, but also it's it's just the again it's it's developing your reputation as not just a filmmaker but also as a human being um and and i think that in the horror community especially at the independent level your personality is almost as important as your talent so you know yeah yeah i think that's true and i think the fact that you're you are so amiable i think definitely lends to that as you say you know at the conventions when you get to chat to people and they're like oh he's a really nice guy you know, I'll definitely check out what he's done. And then once they get it, obviously your work speaks for itself. Um, I mean, I, I hope they think I'm a nice guy, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, and, and that's the great thing about it too, is that you have an opportunity to really sell a person on your stuff because they're not just looking at a poster that they're scrolling through their newsfeed and Facebook or Instagram and they see it and then they keep going or they might like it or they might click on it to check out more information. They're not just watching the trailer on YouTube on their phone or on their computer screen. You know, it's like, it, if if you really want to sell somebody, the reason why door-to-door salesmen were as, as popular and successful as they were all those years ago before the internet and stuff kind of took over business, it's because it was that one-on-one experience of a person who is trained to sell the product, convincing you that you need that product. And 
it's not very difficult to convince a diehard horror fan that they need a good horror movie if the horror movie presents itself as quality to them hmm. and if you are able to keep their attention long enough to convince them to buy it you know yeah no absolutely but again i think um like we were saying with the posters in the background i, I do think yeah that it, it is a big part i mean stuff like skeletons in the closet i mean the cover of that is just exceptional and it it speaks so much to that 80s garish excited like that would totally draw you in even if i didn't know you or your previous work um yeah so that must be quite difficult choosing a do you have a like an artist who you work with regularly or do you so it's been different all along my my initial it's my party artwork was just still images from the movie that i kind of doctored up rudimentally rudimentarily however <laughs> you know very amateurly with photoshop because i didn't know really how to use the program but i did my best um and then from there it was you know working with graphic designers and people who do that stuff a little bit more proficiently or professionally than me um some stuff it was completely out of my control if you look at the rake dvd you know that poster and that cover artwork is not even remotely my own doing and i had no control over it unfortunately um which is interesting because that's one of those things where like i was telling them i really think we need to do this this poster very reminiscent of the rosemary's baby poster with the silhouette of the the face at the bottom with maybe the house or whatever or the rake monster and then you know kind of whatever in the background behind that and they're like, no, we don't like we don't like that idea. It doesn't work with the theme of the movie. And then I shit you not, a year later, Mother comes out and the poster's literally <laughs> a ripoff of Rosemary's Baby. And then there was like two or three other movies that came out in the next year or two between like 2016 and 2018, where I was just like, look at that, motherfuckers. I was right. <laughs> you were wrong. You don't fucking listen to me. And this is what you get. Not that you care. But so um it's it's just been you know it's it's a process with skeletons in the closet there's the a world of death filmmaker like i said the great thing about that was the community hmm. and and at times there was collaborations from the community that we've built and this is an example of one of them where this guy ryan glosmeyer i think he's out of um missouri and um he had a short film in uh world of death and I don't know if it was just because we were friends on Facebook or or if he sent me something, I don't remember, but I just realized that he is a pretty talented artist in terms of drawing. He's also a musician. Um, and so I, I don't know how it came about, but it was just like, I think I was looking for somebody to give me that kind of 80s style poster design. And he must have contacted me and said, hey, I can do that for you. Here's some examples. And I know one of them was he did this really awesome. Um, I think he did two. He did a full size, like we're talking like an entire wall at like a coffee cafe of, I think it was Johnny Cash. And then he did another one of Lemmy from Motorhead. Excuse me. And they looked really, really good, like fucking amazing work, you know? And so I was like, Let's make this happen. And I gave him the idea of what I wanted. I had two different kind of styles of what I wanted it to look like. And he came back with that and with the the girl in front of the TV and and which was an iteration of one of my two concepts that I pitched him. And um, and then he added the coloring and everything. And it just it it really blended serendipitously to um to the the overall theme of the movie. Um 
And then my my wonderful and amazingly talented wife, Meredith, is a um, a graphic designer. She has a wedding stationery company um, where she does high-end weddings, uh, invitations and stuff. And so she's really good at layouts and, and creating design templates and stuff and, and branding. And so <clears throat> she's the one who created the 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 cover basically the layout of the titling and the all the different stuff and where the pictures are on the back and she did our our album artwork for the vinyl of the soundtrack and yeah i have that um, in my collection pride to place downstairs yeah buddy <laughs> um i sincerely man I, I love you for the support you throw my way all these years it, it means so much and um so yeah it's you know, I, I was just having a conversation. I had I've had two phone calls this morning, two Zooms with uh, filmmakers that I'm I'm looking to potentially work with on um, on some projects in the near future. And you know, both of them that that's been my thing all along is it's serendipitous. You know, it's all about being in the right place at the right time, and and having having the right conversations with the right people who share the same mentality and um, and the same tenacity. And and I think that. Um, that's what's happened with with all of my projects at this point where i was you know in a lot of ways i was in the right place at the right time you know if it wasn't for for being in the position that i was in on high in the hog i never would have gotten the role of director on that and producer if if i never would have had the conversation with my friend jason who's my effects guy about you know the the rake we never would have made the rake in the first place and and the same thing with skeletons in the closet. That was an idea. The widow and Charlie are characters I've had in my head for 20 years at this point. And we had the two chop shop movies that we didn't do anything with. And we're like, well, what's going to happen with these? Are we just going to put them on a DVD and sell them for five bucks at conventions? And I said, you know what? I've got this idea for these host and hostess kind of widow and Charlie. Let's, let's make those the wraparound for these movies. And it wrapped it all up nicely. And, um, you know, now we're talking about the potential of a sequel or, or another iteration of it, a remake, or yeah, yeah. Um, that would so. be awesome. I, 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 horror anthologies is always my go-to. Like, I just get through as many of them as I possibly can. Uh, yeah, so I'd I'd be very keen to see. That's why I was so excited when I heard that one was coming out. I was like, oh my god, he's you know, you made it's my party, and then uh, chance in hell and stuff. So I was like, yeah, oh, if he does a load of shorts and makes it into an anthology, that's just going to be gold. And yeah, I say, obviously, it didn't take me much to pitch it to uh, Adam and Chris. I was like, you need you need to get involved in this and give it a watch. Yeah. And they came back and were the same. We're just like, yeah, need to devour as much of his content as possible. And that's I think that's why it's great when you started, uh, as you say, sort of curating all of these stories together. Um for worlds of death and it's because it was like you need someone with that inside eye i think to really be able to pick the quality stuff out and kind of put it all together and package it correctly and and get it to flow um yeah which obviously you did and it was great to see it take off um and the fact that it's now morphed into bloody bites i do love a good show as you know you can sit down if, if you haven't got a full evening you've only got an hour or so you know it's like you're getting from work and yeah and stuff like that is perfect just put it on crash through a few for an hour it's yeah it's good and that's what i like about the world of death blu-rays is that you know those are i can pull a couple of those up since i got them right here i might as well do some promoting yeah definitely it's like and and i'm wondering can i flip my screen how do you flip your screens that you can read things the right way Uh, we don't have to do that in the middle of the show it is the right way around for me 
<laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> it is, yeah. Oh, awesome. I that's so weird because it's backwards. This says like bulb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good this way, man. Um, so yeah, so we've got the World of Death Blu-rays, which are pretty great. There's seven of these now. We just came out with uh, volumes five, six, and seven, and they each feature, you know, like two to three hours worth of short films on them. And that's what people like doing is they'll buy the collection and like over Halloween weekend, they'll just put it on and let it run the entire weekend. Or, you know, like you said, you've got an hour or two, you want to put something on in the background. It's so great because there's such a curated collection of different stuff and it's all so vast. You've got slashers and found footage and haunted houses and werewolves, vampires. You've got horror comedy and and like true dramatic horror and psychological terror and and sci-fi even. You've got found footage and you know super well produced stuff with high quality production value, um, and and so I think that that's really great about it. And as I said, it's been it's it's been all about collecting a a bevy a rolodex of talented people from around the world that now that I'm in the position that I'm in with bloody disgusting can start saying, and in the past, even on high in the hog, we worked with the world of death filmmaker to create our claymation scene. That's in that movie. When one of the characters is having a big, big at like drug trip, like psychedelic drug trip. And we had this world of death guy who's a claymation animator create this whole scene for us. Um, as I said, with Skeletons in the Closet, and and we've even had some of the music in Skeletons in the Closet, Matt Corbett, who is, uh, he created the three original songs, and as well as a couple of other composed songs without, you know, uh, lyrics that are on the soundtrack, which are some of my favorite, like, music from any of my movies ever, his song Make You Stay and, and um, Born for Creeping and Black Widow are just so fucking good and he's actually out of he's across the pond with with you as well um and and so it's like i never would have met that guy if it wasn't for world of death and um so it's just it makes me so freaking happy that that everybody's getting something out of it um and and so yeah you know and and the hope at this point is that it's going to develop into us creating original content together as teams and um, so, yeah, so I'm really excited about it. That'd be fantastic. But in that case, you definitely need to make it over here soon. You know, you've got a few of us over here. You've got some people you can collaborate with. Sounds like a perfect example. We've got a few. Actually, next weekend, I'm going to an independent uh, film festival. It's running over six days. Um, like you say, it's a, it's a hall in a hotel and they set up a screen and they have an awesome sound system. Uh, it's their 10-year anniversary this year, uh, Horror on Sea. Um, or what is it called? It's called Horror on Sea. Okay. Uh, and it's at South End Seafront. Uh, yeah, okay. and they do they show six films, and each film has two shorts in between. Um, yeah, and it's just it's it's a great where they have everything from stuff that somebody has just shot on a video camera to kind of premieres of medium sort of uh, medium budget movies and stuff. Uh, yeah, and it's just it's a it's a great day. It's a great blast. Um, I think maybe you should think about coming over next January for it because uh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Excellent. So, yeah. So what is your kind of when you go out and you you check these films out for the first time, are you just looking for something that jumps out at you or do you have like a sort of mental checklist of, you know, does it tick enough boxes or is it literally just I liked that or I didn't? 
yeah, I think it's I think it's more ingrained in the um do I like it as a fan and do I like it as a filmmaker? Hmm. Uh it, versus kind of a is it checking boxes? Um I think those are the two boxes that I wanted to check. Um because I think that that's more or less all encompassing to me. It's like I'm looking at it as a fan. Do I think that other horror fans that have similar tastes to me are going to like it? Um, and then I have to look at it from the the you know the level of its aptitude and its its production value. You know, were the filmmakers competently putting together a visual story? Um, you know, is it is the, are the shot compositions good? Uh, is is the production design good? Is it like you know, is it shot in, a, in, a, in an apartment? I always use the example of. I can't tell you how many independent short films I've seen where the the entire short takes place in the living room of an apartment where you can tell that it's just a horror fan's apartment and there's the 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 shelf of movies in the background, you know, the Blu-rays or DVDs in the background and there might be a couple posters on the wall or even worse, there's nothing on the walls at all, so it's just <laughs> white walls and it's like you need to you need to understand the importance of of production design that's it's just as much a character in a movie for building atmosphere as the actors are you know and and oftentimes i just don't think that people realize the importance of that or have the ability to take the time and spend the money to make that effective and um you know, people always talk about how sound is important in a movie and it's something that's often overlooked. And I couldn't agree more, but I also think that people don't often pay much attention to set design and wardrobe and just building an overall um, uh, uh, symbiotic color palette, mm. you know, with something like, you know, I, I'm sitting in a room, a green room. And if all of a sudden you like blast this with a, a color that's not going to mend well with this, it's just going to look really, really weird. And I just don't think that a lot of people really pay attention to that. And so the production design always really jumps out at me. And sometimes I'll even select a film that, in my opinion, the story really isn't that great, but because it looks so damn good, I think that people are still going to at least sit through it because I can't tell you how many movies I've watched that... I was like, well, I'm not really interested in the story, but I'm kind of intrigued by how good it looks and I'm interested to see what else they do. And um, so, yeah, you know, it's 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 always a little bit of everything and, and it never has to be the same thing twice. And that's what's great about everything being so unique. But there are definitely a couple of boxes that I check. Nice. So like you were saying with, you know, uh, the set design and getting the right color and everything to get the mood is that something that you learned or is that just something that as a horror fan has, has struck you and you've made a mental note of and used it moving forward in your own productions um my i think being a cinephile is especially a horror cinephile uh is is the reasoning behind why i would say that i am um am at least conscious i don't want to say necessarily that i'm good at um, but I'm conscious of production design in a film. Uh, you know, the movies, my favorite horror movies are Alien, The Shining, and John Carpenter's The Thing. The reason why those movies are so good is not just because the stories are great or the acting is great. Those movies are good because they build atmosphere and tension from the atmosphere. Mm. And I always say it's ominous and foreboding. 
and it's dark and it's creepy and eerie. And to me, that that is almost as important as the story itself or the dialogue or the characters delivering the dialogue or the special effects. All of these things make something good. Mm-hmm. And you can you can certainly have a good film where one or two or three of those departments even are lacking, but it's really important to check a couple of those boxes. And I think production design, at least in my in my case, production design and cinematography really and and when i say cinematography that is not just the camera composition and the choice of lens and and the focal points and all that stuff it's also the lighting Mm -hmm. gaffing to me is very important is often sorely overlooked in movies especially horror where lighting is really what you create the mood with Mm -hmm. um and so yeah so i think that all of that is important. And the reason why I believe it's important is because I was raised on movies and fell in love with movies that I enjoyed because the atmosphere was built from the lighting, the camera and the set design and wardrobe and, and whatnot put together. So. Yeah. See, I, I totally agree. I've got this, Oh, you know, I, I banged on about it on the podcast, you know, remaking all these classic films and as you say, it's all those little things together that work to create such a, a masterful movie. So if a film has worked, why try and redo it again a lot of the time? Because the chances of getting all of those things are, are, are minimal and you only have to get a couple wrong and all of a sudden it's not as it's nowhere near as good as the original when it all falls apart. I, I've always felt that you should take a film that should have been great and wasn't, and those are the ones we should be remaking, you know. If, oh, yeah not going back you don't need to remake elm street and you don't need to remake friday the third although i quite like the friday the 13th remake so do um, I. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah but they need to go back to the movies that should have been fantastic and just had kind of something missing um so so what would you i just put you on the spot now so what would you class as that like a a movie that you enjoy that you just felt it was so close to being great and wasn't quite that you'd like to see someone have a proper go at? Oh, I'll tell you what. I'm glad I got a couple of DVD or Blu-rays over here because otherwise <laughs> that would have been really tough to come up with one on the spot. And I got it. I got it, thankfully. Thank you. Oh, I got two <laughs> over there, actually, that I can say. Um, but that would be really difficult because there's certainly movies that if I had the opportunity to do the remake, like Night of the Creeps, if, oh. if they were to make another Night of the Creeps movie, I would, God, I would give my left testicle to be on that set you know i'll be a fucking pa at that point i just want to work on that movie with shane black and and fred decker and you know um but uh i and and i agree with you like there are there are certain uh remakes that i think are really good i i really like the friday 13th remake i like a lot of the texas chainsaw movies uh honestly i've really enjoyed most of the the in fact I don't think I haven't enjoyed one of the new ones in some capacity. I've enjoyed it more than I haven't enjoyed it mm-hmm. since the the original one with Jessica Beale came out in like 03. Um, uh, and I even, I like the atmosphere of the new Nightmare on Elm Street. I just don't really, and I like what they did with Freddy's look. I, yeah. I like that it looks legitimately like a burn victim. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it, it fell short in a handful of, of areas, but uh but yeah, so in general, I'm not against remakes of popular movies, and I understand why they do, because they know they're going to make a shit ton of money off of it. Yeah. Um, look at Halloween at this point, you know, um, which I'm not, I like the violence in those movies, and I like the 
again, the atmosphere of those movies, the way that they look and feel. But I don't really like the three new Halloween movies. I, I don't particularly care for the stories and and, and whatnot. Hmm. Um, but in terms of movies that I think should be remade and remade better, and I couldn't agree with you more that that's what they should be focusing on. Um, I I would say that that my my go to picks. I've actually got three over here um, that I can just say I've got House by the Cemetery by Lucio Fulci. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, Fulci's probably best known movie would be Zombie. Um, you know, for those who are not as familiar with the Italian giallo horror filmmakers, Dario Argento is arguably the most popular. But I think Fulci's probably the second most popular unless you want to go to like Bava or something. And I I am a big fan of, of Fulci because he thematically he makes movies that I that I'm really into that are my favorite types of movies. Um, the Beyond and House by the Cemetery are are such awesome concepts. Hmm. I just think that that for some reason, like Italian filmmakers in the 70s and 80s, I don't know if it's just lost in translation or what it is, but it they're they're batshit crazy. They're so weird. And so I would love the opportunity to remake the beyond or house by the cemetery. If I was given the chance, um, another one would be hell night. I think hell night is a great movie that is often overlooked as a Linda Blair movie. Now that is a good movie. Yes. It, it's a great movie, but again, that's one of those examples where as a kid, I'd never heard of it. I didn't see hell night until I was probably in high school working at the video store and was like, all right, what what five movies am I taking home tonight returning <laughs> tomorrow when I come back to work? And so I was literally renting every single horror movie I could. And so otherwise, I don't think I ever I I had never seen that movie or heard of it prior to that. And um and it's it's a good movie, but I think it oftentimes gets kind of lumped underneath the here's the really popular slasher movies. This is the kind of B tier, and I think it might be more in that B tier group. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one, an even lesser known slasher from the mid eighties is called superstition or superstitious. It's superstition. Um, dropping shit. So this is superstition. Uh, I've seen the cover. I've not seen the movie. It's, it's really, it's so it's, it's very low budget in the sense of like, like they're in, in the Blu-ray, actually, they they did a really good job of cleaning it up on the Blu-ray release. Um, I think that's a Scream Factory Blu-ray. Yeah, that's a Scream Factory release, and they did a really good job of cleaning it up because for the longest time I had it on VHS, um, and it's just like there were scenes in the basement of this old house that are like so dark that you can't even see what's happening. Um, which is kind of interesting because now I watch the movie on the Blu-ray and I'm like, God, I had no idea that's what this scene looked like. You know? <laughs> um, but it's it's basically like a a church owns this land and um, there's a, a lake or a pond on the land. And back in the 1700s, during the whole witch trial period in, in America, um, this woman is accused of being a witch and the town uh, gives her a trial and then ends up burning her alive and throwing her into the the pond and um and then they like they throw a big like cross into the crucifix into the pond uh to protect them from her and the curse that she laid on the on the area 
And so the church still owns the land and there's a house on the land that the church uses for like its priests and deacons to live in hmm. when they have like their, whatever their internment or whatever. That's not the right word there. You know, like they're when they're, when they're working with the church there or whatever hmm. um, it's their, it's their house. Uh, and so this, this priest or, or, I don't know what what he's considered. Uh, it's not a deacon, something like that. And he he moves in with his family, and he's got a couple of teenage daughters and like a twelve year old boy, and then his wife. And it's like he's an alcoholic, and this is his kind of last chance with the church to redeem him, redeem himself as like a man of the cloth. And so they move into this house, and and it's this big old you know cool house, and this they end up like pulling this crucifix out of the water at one point. And so the witch ends up coming back and starts killing the family. Um, and it's just, it's good. It's super violent, like super duper violent. Um, but 80 style kind of cheesy violent um, in a lot of ways, but then in other ways, it's kind of like super like gory violent. And it, you're, I see you writing it down. I am writing it down. Cause I'm like, that is going on my list to watch during the week. I can't, it you're going to love it. Amazing. You're going to thank me. It's, it's, it's for people who can appreciate low budget eighties horror. It's right up there is one of my favorites. Ah, oh, excellent. I definitely need to check that. And that's another one. There's so much eighties horror out there. As you say, the kind of that lower tier, like hell night and, yeah that just go under the radar and you know a lot of them still haven't been out on blu-ray and so they're harder to get hold of but oh yeah when you find one of those just unexpectedly and it just just makes your day it's fantastic but yeah, yeah. Always on and, the lookout for something. that was one that thankfully it had a cool cover so the whole reason i rented it when i was a kid is because i thought the cover looked kind of neat and it was while i was at the video store working and so it was you know it was just like well I've got nothing else to lose lose because I'm renting it for free since I work here. So, you know, I, it wasn't even like I was renting it. It's like, I'm the one closing the the store up at night. So when I bring it back tomorrow morning, no one will ever even know that it was wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm not hindering a, a, a customer from being able to rent it. No. And so I used to do that every weekend when I was working in high school. And um, so, yeah, so that's, that's one of the ones that that I I just I always loved. And, you know, it's like I agree with you. I, I see some like most recently the one that I'm looking at is Terror Train. I see that they just remade that. Yeah. Um, And I just the, the new poster for it. I'm like, who was who was thinking that this looks good, that this <laughs> that this is going to properly market this film, this remake of, in my opinion, a true 80s classic. You know, mm -hmm. I. My wife and I watched it a couple months ago. She'd never seen it. And I was like, oh, it's great. You know, Jamie Lee Curtis, after Halloween, after prom night, this is the next slasher movie that she did. And I love it because I grew up with Terror Train. She didn't really like it all that much. And I still, I think the first one is, is always going to be a classic in my mind. But the remake just looks absolutely terrible based on the poster alone and Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's great. I've seen it on a couple of, you know, top 25 lists of last year, but it just doesn't interest me. Yeah. No, and I've, I've learned not to trust those lists because, uh, yeah, yeah, I've been bitten too many times with that, unfortunately. Sure. Um, 
uh, so so recently, are there any movies in the last couple of years that have come out that have kind of stood out to you that you think people should definitely have heard? Because obviously you get to hear about you know, meeting people at the conventions and things. You get to hear about a lot of these films that, as you say, they, they haven't got a lot of money to push on media and get the names out there. So, so you uh, suggested Pie Whack It to me last time we were on, uh, which I went and got and was fantastic. So have you yeah. got any other uh, little nuggets of greatness that we might have possibly missed? Man, let me think. Um, well, I, the in my opinion, the scariest movie I've seen in a long time is Smile. I, I really enjoyed Smile a lot. Um, in a lot of ways, it reminds me a lot of of the story of the Rake, uh, my my third feature, and which is a, a story that has been told in a number of different ways. I think The Wretched is a similar story. Mercy Black, which was a movie on Netflix, is a similar story. Um, but I it follows is the same kind of story. Um, but I, I just thought that it was very effectively done. I thought it was creepy and eerie. Uh, there were moments that were just very unsettling and scary. And aside from the fact that the end of the movie really like looks in a lot of ways, like the rake with the monster kind of with the person. And I don't want to ruin it for people, but, um, if you were to watch both movies, you'd be like, okay, I can see where there's a comparison drawn here. Hmm. Um, but it didn't make me mad because I was like, this is such a cool movie. I, I'm not mad about it. Um, and uh, I really loved Prey, the new Predator movie. I thought that was tremendous. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 I, I was so happy that that did well, because in my opinion, that is what that's what they should be doing with the Predator franchise. Hmm. Um, and that's what everybody's saying. They're like, put a Predator in 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 feudal uh, Japan against yeah. Samurais and, you know, shit like that i'm like fuck yeah let's do it that's great yeah um i would love to see predator in vietnam you know during the vietnam war shit like that you know uh i let's see i really liked dune the the first uh dennis villeneuve dune i thought that was great even though a lot of people shit on it for some stupid reason um let me think what else i uh you know, it's tough. I, I really, I keep telling myself I need to just put down movies in a list, like on Letterboxd when I'm done watching them, and I never do. Um, and then I get to these moments where I'm like, oh, I wish I could just say like, oh, yeah, I like this. And Yeah, sorry, I'll put you on the spot. I do apologize. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I just gave you three titles that I can think of that I really <laughs> like. And, you know, there's some, I'm trying to think of some independent stuff that I've seen recently that I really liked that... Um. God, what what can I think of? Do I have any over here that I really liked a lot? Um, it's funny. No, I think. I... Go oh, ahead. That's okay. I was just going to say. I think for me, that's why it's quite cathartic doing the uh, the podcast because it means I have got a record of stuff. Because I, you know, we we do two episodes and then we do a what we've been watching where we just have like a quick five minutes on each thing. Yeah, and it, the amount of times I don't really listen back to them very often, but sometimes I'm in the car and I've got Spotify on and it flicks back to one of our episodes and then I just go, oh, yeah, I was talking about this this time last year and I've forgotten all about it and I need to go back and rewatch it. So, yeah, yeah it's it, it, it's terrible, really. I, I mean, it's good that there's so much content out there that we watch so much great stuff that some of it just gets forgotten and then all of a sudden it pops back in your head after a few years and you go, oh, fuck, I need to go back and watch that again like I had such a great time, but. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh yeah, it is a bit of a floodgate sometimes of so much content that it 
you watch it and enjoy it and then it's just i mean i've just recently uh watched the menu have you caught up with that yet i watched it a couple nights ago yeah um yeah and i really enjoyed that but i've got a feeling that's going to be the same i enjoyed it but yeah i've got a feeling that in six months time someone's going to mention it i'm going to go the what oh yeah yeah i did see <laughs> yeah i i liked it too i thought it was very well written and very well structured i understand how they got the budget when they had that script because it's just I'm, I would imagine reading that as a producer and being like, okay, this is going to be awesome. You know, um, I don't think it has much rewatchable value to it. Like I, I don't see myself buying that on Blu-ray or no. sitting down and watching it again on TV anytime in the near future, if at all. Um, so, and, and I have a hard time rewatching movies at this point. I'm not like when I was younger, I had my physical media collection of, of you know, VHS tapes and, and, and DVDs, which I still have in boxes somewhere um, that haven't been unpacked yet since we moved into our house. But back then, I remember I would put the same movie in all the time. I'd watch Alien and, and Big Trouble in Little China and, and, you know, The Thing, and I would just watch them on repeat to the point of where those tapes are probably not going to work if I put them in the VCR <laughs> now. But but I'm not like that anymore. I have a hard time going back and rewatching most movies. There are only a select handful of films that I would watch again quickly. And smile is one of those. And pray is one of those where I would, I would, if you were to be like, I haven't seen it or, you know, let's watch it again. If I had nothing better to do with my two hours, I would easily sit down and do that again. Um, You know, I've, I've been a really big fan of a lot of, shows lately i think that the the episodic kind of entire story in a season concept that you know uh that netflix really kind of paved the way with you know has has just completely transitioned the industry into a whole new version of storytelling in the long form way you know you look at like i love the 1990 stephen king's it miniseries hmm. um but then there were so many other ones that were not very good, like the Langoliers and Tommyknockers. Um, even the original Stand, I liked it when it came out. But if you go back and rewatch it, it's just not good at all because yeah. um, it's so TV. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you look at something like Stranger Things or The Haunting of Hill House is so fucking good um, that that is what long form co- episodic content should feel like. Hmm. And I'm excited about that. You know, the channel zeros um, are, are a lot like that in my opinion. So yeah, I got an itch. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, no, I, I totally agree. And, and again, with the, with streaming and not having it on TV, it has that bonus of an episode is as long as it needs to be. So if you've got one that's 35 minutes and you've got one that's an hour, it's no problem that you haven't got to pad it out or cut anything important out. And it, it just allows the story to roll at a speed that it should do. Um, yeah. And so I think that's, that's totally changed TV shows for good, which is, yeah, can only be a good thing really. It's, I mean, how many shows have you watched that were pretty good if they'd been 45 minutes, but because they've had to push it out to an hour, it drags and it lulls and then you end up enjoying the whole thing less overall. Yeah, and it's not even just just the runtime um, prerequisites that that are now thrown out the window, but it's also like censorship. Like I love that Netflix and Hulu and all these other platforms do not have to adhere to 
censorship ratings if they choose not to. Um, and that's where it's like, it's interesting to me because I look at, and really the only one that that does is like Disney plus doesn't have anything that's obviously bad. And they've actually censored stuff, which really pisses me off. Yeah. We were watching, um, adventures and babysitting. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Love that movie. Yeah. They it's on Disney plus and they censored it. They literally censored it. No way. Yeah. It's fucking horseshit. They they're the swear words have basically been removed and the Playboy that that Elizabeth Shue is in, yeah, I remember vividly as a child because I was a fucking boy, and what boy didn't like Playboys? You know, back in the day, I vividly remember that they at least I think showed her butt in that in the spread when they opened mm-hmm. it up, and they like I literally think they unless my memory is that bad, I think that they CGI'd in a towel that she's covering herself with, so that you no longer see her naked. And I'm just like, I get it and I respect it, but that's horseshit that you're doing that to something, you know, like at this point, what's to stop you from censoring Ghostbusters and Gremlins and, and anything else that when I was a child, it made me the man that I am now, the horror fan that I am now, the cinephile that I am now, the creator that I am now. Yeah. And you're going to go and censor because you think that you're the person or the team of people who should be in charge of that. Like, it's dumb. It's been living for 35 years the way that it li- exists. Yeah. And now you want to make a difference out of it, you know? So, um, yeah. so yeah. And, and I like that those platforms like, like Netflix give you the opportunity to sit down and watch a PG show. And then the next second you're watching the Texas chainsaw massacre movie that was most recently on Netflix. And it is like, all out violence and gore and like to the extreme the first terrifier was released on netflix and so you know you like you can see a girl get cut in half with a chainsaw completely naked and then you can go and you can click over to to stranger things which is you know other than saying shit every once in a while there's really nothing that non-vanilla in stranger things even though it's still fucking amazing and i absolutely love it but you know yeah, I mean, that is a super strong show. And, and I mean, Netflix, their original broadcasting has been really, really strong. I mean, uh, The Babysitter as well. I really enjoyed that movie when that came out. That was just a blast. I re- had a really fun time with it. And it's, you know, it's like we were saying, it's that 80s. I think that was the thing with the 80s. The 70s horror was taken very seriously and was very dark. And then in the 80s, they uh, you said yourself, like fun. They just injected everything with fun and just kind of took the edge off. And it just made it. And as you say, it, we have not grown into, into strange people for having watched it and stuff. So the idea that that stuff is being censored so much now, it's like it did us no harm whatsoever. And uh, But, I, I mean, I can see, I suppose, if it's streaming, it's easy for kids to get hold of a remote control. I mean... My nephew's three and he knows how to open up Disney Plus and pick a film off of it, which is kind of terrifying, if I'm honest. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, kids are crazy. You know, it's it's nuts what they're capable of doing. I remember my buddy Jason used to talk about my godson would be like three or four years old and he'd be like buying games on PlayStation. You know, (laughs) it's just like... Like all of a sudden you come home from work in a hard day and you realize your kid spent $350 on rocket league purchases. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, um, um, 
I was going to say, I know you've uh, you've got other stuff to do today, so I don't want to uh, keep you too much longer. Uh, but yeah, if you just want to let people know where they can get hold of your merchandise, I know we've uh, we've put some posts up for your new "It's My Party" anniversary. Obviously, we didn't put that post up until I'd secured my copy because I wasn't going to risk missing out on that. Um, but yeah, so where can people go and find your stuff now? So yeah, I and I, I really appreciate you doing that. I think that's really the biggest thing I'm promoting is um, I got two new releases. We're doing a pre-order uh, 15 year anniversary DVD collector collector's edition of of my first film, which is uh, It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To. It is a choose your own adventure movie, which I think is what makes it really fun and unique. Um, it you literally you get a two disc set in the DVD box. There's the the feature length version on one disc, along with all the special features, which for aspiring filmmakers, there's a great behind the scenes featurette, um, a whole bunch of other cool stuff on there. And then the second disc is the choose your own adventure version of the movie where you can use your DVD remote. And it'll come, the movie's very Evil Dead meets Night of the Demons meets Creepshow. And it has that Creepshow comic book look to it, where at certain points throughout the, the movie, it'll turn into a menu and you can use your remote and choose the different options. Do you want the main character, Sarah, to go down this hallway or go into this dark room? And depending on what choices you make, if you kill her and her friends, you have to start over again. And it's all new footage that's not in the regular movie, which is pretty fun. Um, and so that's the movie, which, again, this is the 15-year anniversary edition of it. And then what we're including with the, the box set, which I'm super excited about, is I've got this artist in Greece named Vasilis who is putting together a... We're doing a 30-page comic, and it is the first 30 minutes of the sequel, You Would Die Too If It Happened to You. So you now get to watch the original movie. If you're someone like Lee, who's been watching this movie for 15 years now, you you get to see Sarah and her friends in Burkett Manor um, in the first movie. And then the sequel now shows you what happens immediately after the end of the first movie takes place. Because it's just like Halloween and Halloween 2, where it's the same night, it's Halloween night. And it's what happens with Sarah now when she realizes that Mr. Burkett's evil is not dead. And now she has to follow that evil out of the house to the next location and stop it before it continues to take over and kill everybody and turn them into monsters and stuff. And so the hope will be that we're able to create a um, basically a uh, uh, um, a proof of concept, so to speak, with this uh this this comic book um and for fans such as yourself who have always loved the first movie i believe that this is something that you're gonna be like oh my god i get to see what the next movie is gonna look like like i'm so excited to know what happens next um so i'm really excited about it but the, the pre-sales are going to be so important because they're helping me pay for how expensive it is to get a talented artist such as Vasilis to design this entire comic book as well as the cover art that my friend Chris Kuchta is putting together for the new box set. Um, you know, it's and, and I kind of want to do something else with it too, potentially, whether it's including like a, a vinyl sticker or something. I, I don't know yet. It depends or, or a slip cover that'll house the comic book as well as the box for the movie. It, it really just depends on how much money I can raise. And, and I'm not doing it through an Indiegogo or a Kickstarter because I don't want to give them, you know, 10% of the profits I'd rather just say, 
I, I might do a contest even where if you do a pre-sale, uh, a pre-order of it, um, I'm thinking I'm going to start giving away props and costumes from the original movie, um, including Sarah's sword, the katana sword that she gets at the end of the movie. Wow, you've still got that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got I've got I've got all the girls costumes still. I've got everything. I've still got Sarah's Elvira wig. Um, um, yeah, I still dude, have all that. Your house must be like a museum for someone like me who just because I mean, that movie, it, it's like you were saying earlier. Sorry, it's just um it's it's a it's a perfect party movie. So Adam and I and my brother Dean and my wife, we all sat and watched it together the first time, and it did become one of those films. Every few weeks, we'd sit down and we'd play like the uh, goth, the bald game, or horror trivial pursuit or whatever. Sure. And it was sure. the perfect film to have on in the background. Every now and again, you go oh oh oh, and you'd all just stop and look, yay, ah, and then you carry thank on. You. And it's yeah, so it's perfect for that. So yeah, I, I definitely encourage everyone to get hold of a copy of the anniversary edition because it's uh, the film itself is fantastic, but having all this extra stuff is just going to be uh, awesome. Please, please continue to help me promote it if you don't mind, because I, I really do need to to get that support of 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 just getting some some additional funding up front, because at this point, and if you're willing to let me share my screen, um, if you can do that, because it says right now that the host is disabling okay. it, I'll actually give you this will be the first public I'm planning on putting these up in the next few days. So I don't know when you're planning on sharing this interview. Oh, let me um, get... Got it. Can you see that? Yeah. Hey. Hey, there's Charlie. <laughs> so, okay. So, and this is a really cool thing is that uh, I'm excited to be able to share this. This is kind of fun. So my, um, my artist, uh, Vasilis, who's doing this, he lives in Greece. So all of our communication has purely been, you know, through emails and stuff. And he works fast as fuck. This dude is awesome. And so he first he's he's sending me the progress of these pictures, which is super great. So here's the first page, which is black and white, and it doesn't have the dialogue on it yet or anything like that. But you've basically got Burkett Manor, and there's just lines of ambulances and the police cars, and they're just wheeling bodies out left and right from this house. And then Sarah's sitting in the back of the ambulance, just thinking back to what happened. And if you remember at the end of the movie, when the blood splatters across the front windows of the of the house, it's her actually, you know, stabbing or slicing Mr. Burkett in half with her sword. And that's his blood, not hers. Um, and so, you know, you kind of progress from there. And so then he's like sending me like, you know, the progress of the designs and how it kind of goes from being the initial kind of sketch work and the line detail gets added and then the shadowing and stuff like that, which is super fucking cool, right? Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, I know. And he does all this on paper with pen and ink. It's not it's not computerized at this point. But so, you know, it's it he he is very talented. And so this costs money. And um and you got to take care of the people that are providing you with with great work. And so, you know, it's like, okay, we can make these color, but it's going to be more money than to just do the um, the black and white. And so I'm, I'm really trying to find a way to afford to do the colored work. And now here's the difference. You think about the first picture, look at it with color. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, now that, that really pops, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then the second page. Wow. Yeah. That's a whole world of difference, isn't it? I'm, I just, I don't know how, 
people would not be, you know, like there are, there are a lot of horror fans that appreciate physical media. Mm. And this is something to me that like, if, if, if enough people know about it, I think that they're going to be like, yeah, I mean, I'm totally down to support that and, and get a copy of it. So, you know, I really hope, you know, you talk to your friends, talk to your co-hosts, anybody that you know, that's a horror fan. If you, if they've heard you recommend this movie before, please, you know, help me share this. It's, it's on my website, as you know, um, and I'm going to start posting, I'm going to probably just share these first two or three pages so that people can see where the story goes once we get all the dialogue boxes and stuff added. Um, but you know, that that's really what I want to do is I want to focus on trying to get as much pre-sales as I can. And then that way I'll be able to justify spending the extra money to get the coloring done, which I think is necessary for something like it's my party, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it was such a vibrant movie as well, you know, like you were saying about the cut. Like, it was lots of reds and greens, and, yeah, it had that really nice, I think, especially for, like, a Halloween movie, which it obviously is, like, like all that lighting just made such a difference to the atmosphere and giving you that Halloween night vibe. So, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I say we'd, we'll do all we can to try and get the word out and get, get, people, to, get people watching it again, which uh, it's... Uh, although I've pre-ordered my new one, I'm not going to wait. I, it's definitely coming off the shelf, I think, in the next uh, couple of weeks, having talked sweet. about it again. So uh, I just that's, say that's that. how I am with like with superstition. I'm going to pull it out and watch it in the next few nights too. Um, <laughs> so I, I appreciate that. And then we're also promoting the the three new editions of World of Death. Um, so there's five, six, and seven now, which I'm pretty excited about. You know, they look pretty great as well. So yeah. those are up and available on the website right now as we speak. That's on um, scotchworthy.com, yeah? Yes, scotchworthy.com. Uh, and then there's a store at the website there. Um, so if you want to share that link with your your viewership, that would be great. Um, so yeah, I'm just... And and I've got so much stuff going on potentially with Bloody Disgusting and with the TV channel and, and everything. So I'm just... I'm, I'm really excited. I'm in a great mood. I am driven and motivated and inspired. And um, it's, it's going to be a great year. Excellent. Fantastic. Well... Wish you all the best, and uh, yeah, I, I'm sure it will come off well. And I really cannot wait to see this new box set when it comes out. Um, yeah, and hear what you've got coming next because you just seem to every time I hear from you, you've got loads going on and loads of thoughts going, and like there's always yeah. something happening. It's a yeah, it's such a, it's great that you're so creative and so enthusiastic about it. You sort of you can't help but get wrapped up in that whirlwind of enthusiasm and uh, and when the output is always good it's yeah it's it's always something to look forward to so thank you for uh, always keeping us as entertained as you do i wish that i had more content coming out more frequently i i get disheartened at times when there's dry spells and and i get just as frustrated as anybody when it's difficult to raise the money to shoot something or or to or if i don't have the creative you know capacity in my brain to focus long enough on a story or something I'm developing it there. Trust me, there, there are the lulls and the dulls and the, and the, and the irritable moments and stuff. But, um, you know, I think that's part of the artistic process. And, mm. and I just, you know, I, I don't feel like I certainly haven't made it yet. I'm not paying my bills doing this. And so until I get to the point where I feel like, and I don't know if I'll ever be at that point. I feel like people like John Carpenter and stuff, they'll always create until they're in the ground. And, mm. um, and I think I'm the same way. I, I tell myself I could, I could use a break, but then I look back and I say, well, when did you ever really truly take a fucking break, Tony? <laughs> um, 
you've just kind of changed and transitioned and evolved into different facets of the industry and the community. And so, um, again, I'm, I'm super stoked to see what 2023 and 2024 bring to, to Scotchworthy Productions and to me and to Bloody Disgusting and Screambox. And um, I, I just... All I can all I can ask for is and 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 respectfully, you know, support as well as the support that people give me. So, you know, I I will not uh, I will do my best to continue providing high quality independent horror content for fans that is being made by a true horror fan. And, um, you know, just keep helping me, keep supporting me, keep purchasing the merchandise and and promoting it like like you do lee and and if i had if i had five thousand people like you i would be fine right now i would be fine and five thousand people out of eight billion people on this planet is not a big percentage of fans no and that's the thing and the people who have seen your stuff love it so it is just a matter of getting the word out it's you know it, it everything you're doing is perfect you just need to reach more people with it so uh yeah. And it's persistence. It's also persistence. I am I am at the point now where I firmly believe that you almost have to annoy people or get to the verge of annoying people because attention spans are so short now that, you know, I had, for example, on the first post that I did for the sequel comic um, Blu-ray release, I was I had like, you know, 50 likes and I had like probably a dozen people say I would buy one of those. And out of those dozen people, I've had four people actually order it. And it's like, and it's only been up for a couple of days. It's not like it's super duper popular and I'm not super duper popular, but it, you know, people just, you might've been looking at it on your phone while you're on the train going to work in the morning or something, or you're at work on your lunch break and you're like, well, I'm going to order this when I get home and grab my credit card or something. And it's, it's so hard to, to get people to commit sometimes because they're just busy and they have other distractions in their life. And I can't blame them for that. So my hope is that they will see it enough to be like, oh, yeah, I was going to do that. I totally forgot. Why the fuck did I forget about that? Um, and and I think it's I, I'm not worried that I'm not going to be able to sell these copies or anything. I just would really love to see the support now so that I it justifies to me that spending the extra money to get the coloring in the comic done is going to happen. And to be completely honest, if things like this are popular enough with the fan base and they enjoy it enough after they see the finished product, there's no reason I wouldn't go back to Vasilis and say, all right, we did 30 pages. Let's do the next 60 and finish this comic book and make a graphic novel of you would die too, if it happened to you. So now people can, and I can literally walk into a producer's office and say, here's the first movie that I made with $15,000 and didn't know a damn thing of what I was doing. 15 years ago, here's the sequel in comic book graphic novel form. Let's make both of these movies. We're going to remake the first one and we're going to shoot the sequel at the same time, just like, you know, any of these other movies that do that. And let's do it. And, you know, fingers crossed, man. That'd be incredible. That really would. Yeah. Right. You heard him, people. Get out there. Get ordering a copy. It's worth every penny and it might just lead to a remake and a sequel so yeah can't go wrong thank you for having me on the show buddy. thank you so much man honestly it's always amazing to speak to you and uh yeah i really appreciate your time today thanks a lot man yeah you too brother always good to talk to you